0: Hi everyone, it's Brittany, and welcome to One Hot Mess. Alright guys, so we are going to continue the book, Don't Fucking Panic. And this part of the book is called Trait versus State. The saddest and most depressed I've ever been was after a breakup, which y'all know pretty intimately now, huh? It feels so silly to think back on considering how much better my life got later. Months before he broke up with me, I was having regular panic attacks. I was switching my meds every other month and this mental and the emotional back and forth was too much for him to empathize with. To this day, my biggest fear is being called too much, or perhaps extra, as the kids are calling it now. On the day of the breakup, life didn't feel real. I felt like I was reading a script as words came out of my mouth to make it feel amicable, when in reality, I wanted to scream, cry, shit, even puke a little, At the same time, I felt like I had lost so much in my life, my friend, my routine. How do you go from doing everything with one person to the very next day? Just not. I was terrified that I'd never stop hurting. It's hard to understand how you could love someone else so much and the other person has the full right to not want to be with you. It's like that movie, 500 Days of Summer. People hated Summer for all the cruel things she did to Tom, when in reality, Tom was the asshole. He was trying to make someone love him that didn't feel the same way back. It's just rude. And that's what I was going through. I didn't know this level of hurt could exist, and I was sure that this would last forever. Of course, many years later, I'm not only fine, but I look back at that period of my time like, Whoa, what the fuck? What that? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, what the fuck? What that shit all about? I couldn't believe I had been in a hole that deep, so dark, so lonely. It was scary as fuck. After much therapy and even a little stint, At an inpatient therapy clinic, I learned that that period of time in my life was a state, not a trait. This is a crucial lesson to recall for people who deal with depression. Let me explain further. Let's say a disaster is happening in your life. Oh, fuck. I'm so sorry for your troubles you're going through. However, your mind, body, and feelings are in a state. You are in a state This is not who you usually are and how you usually act and respond in life. You are in a state of crisis or a state of depression. It is happening to you. You must separate this crisis or depression state away from what your true personality and soul are when you are at your best. It is not a fixed trait of yours to respond or feel this way. During this disaster or trauma, you acknowledge and treat the state the proper way trauma should be treated, and note that life won't feel normal for a while. Separate this disaster from your core of who you really are. Note that the following things are normal to experience during trauma or disaster. Relationship to food and eating will be challenged. A surge of compulsive or addictive behaviors will surface. You might get sicker easier. You will feel exhausted even after long periods of sleep, perhaps fatigued, unmotivated, or lazy. You might start to think of money, food, and shelter in a more panicked or confused way. Do I have enough? Do I need more? Do others That I love have enough resources. New and old traumas can resurface, causing the feelings to feel like they are now stacked on top of one another. Stacks on states. You might get angry, irritable, frustrated, sad, confused, etc. You might, nope, nope, sorry, sorry, sorry. Crying spells or anger bursts. After this breakup, I let the state consume me. I thought it was who I was now. How would I ever get out of this depressive hole? I didn't know at the time that I could learn how to nurture my breakup with time, love, and self-compassion. It deserved. Although this state took over my ability to function, I survived it, and I think the universe every day. I learned a lot about self-reliance in that time. Of course, since I've seen what my rock bottom looks like. I fear going back to that place. I know it exists and that it's a state I am capable of falling into. When I'm feeling down or sad, my mind immediately goes back to this moment of my life. And I worry that my life might end back up in this deep, dark, shitty, suicidal hangover. And tired place, but I'm different now. I have a better relationship with myself. I have the tools. I take care of myself, and I can tell the difference between being in a state and my fixed traits. I have to constantly remember that I am not going to spiral and that those weren't and aren't my normal circumstances. So, How do we get out of that state besides having a support system, therapy, and or an outlet for our true emotional state to flow freely? Time is the answer. Time. Can you remember a time where you thought your pain attack would never end and then it did? Same with heartbreak. It's a quote that's old as time, but truly really got me through it. Time heals all wounds. Time, time, time. And when you live with depression, the idea of the clock being the gatekeeper of happiness can feel like a sick joke. Daydreaming takes on a new meaning with depression. It's like living in slow motion. But I told myself I would get to the other side. I had to recognize that my healing might not look like what I saw in the movies. Maybe I needed more time than I had originally thought. It's okay to still be alive and not be okay for a really long time. It is okay not to be okay. Without that deep state of depression, I would have never learned how strong I really am. The pain I suffered then has given me the power and strength that I have now to take on any dark time head on. Paper plane exercise. Number one, get out a piece of paper and write whatever the hell you're feeling right now. It can be a stream of consciousness, a very specific problem, or even a retelling of a conversation you had that left you feeling a type of way. Number two, then follow the instructions on the next page to make an easy but badass paper airplane using the sheet of paper you just wrote on. Three, Find your nearest, highest place and take your plane with you. Meditate or be mindful of the thing you wrote down for a few minutes. Say thanks for this being around, but that you don't need it anymore. Then throw this bitch off the roof. Take off, baby. Four, say goodbye to the toxic things, persons, habits, negative self-thoughts, etc but then go pick it up and be environmentally friendly. Maybe just throw it into a garbage can to begin with. There is nothing so bad in this world that can happen to you that is stronger or more powerful than good. Something good will always come along, especially alongside something bad. To me, this means that good will never abandon you. It might be subtle, but it's there always. Reinforce the good. Let's take a look at the good in your life. It is all around us, but might be difficult to see when you're squinting through a cloud of depression. So let's get outside of ourselves, try to take the worry and sadness off yourself, and focus on others for this exercise. Tell me something that you love about your favorite people. Pets are people too. Your BFF. What do you love about them? What's your funniest memory with them or of them? How did you guys meet? Family or chosen family member? How about a challenge? Tell me something you like about an ex. Ooh. A complete stranger passing by. A furry friend. Hey, can you text, call, or show a person or pet some love right now? Use what you just wrote as a jumping off point. That song I just called to say I love you totally makes sense now. Don't trip over what is behind you. Like Elsa said, let that shit go, dog. That's verbatim what she said. Remember, anxiety is rooted in overthinking about the past or future. The past is the past. Be better right now by thinking about the right now. Paying it forward. Ever cry your eyes out while watching Ellen's 12 Days of Giveaways? Or how about those viral YouTube clips of strangers risking their lives to save someone else's dog caught in the river riptide? What about that TikTok of a bone marrow donor meeting their recipient? Oh God, is someone cutting large onions while playing Frank Ocean in here? Sure, you pessimists, but... Oh, there might be some companies or people that are doing it for the PR. But there are many more out there who do it for altruism? altruism is defined by the belief in or practice of disinterested and selfless concern for the well-being of others. The Dalai Lama says that his main daily practice is altruism and that it's good for physical health. He's 84 and not only one of the most important people on the planet, he's one of the happiest. So like we should listen to him, yeah? There's an actual science to why selflessness makes you feel good, especially if you expect nothing in return, including praise from friends, family, or social media. One, sorry guys, my phone thought I was talking to it. Anyway, one 2014 study published in the journal, Social, Cognitive, and affective Neuroscience says engaging in compassionate actions activates the areas of the brain associated with the reward system, including... Oh lordy, the... Oh, I don't know this word, okay. It's a um, three different words, something area. And the something else uh l m a o what the fuck does this mean she says the positive feelings created by compassionate actions then reinforce altruistic behaviors if you need more inspiration one of my favorite youtube channels to watch to get some smiles and good energy flowing is from mr beast who is known to have given away millions of dollars to strangers who deserve it and then there's a couple questions when or what's the last time you practice, practiced altruism, how did it make you feel? If you could do it again, what would you do differently? Reduce stress and anxiety and make someone else feel good in return. Then there's eight ways to practice altruism Browse GoFundMe and donate $5 to a stranger's calls with a note of support. Pay for the person's coffee behind you at Starbucks. Marie can do the shit out of your closet and donate those extra things and invite someone to sit with you at lunch that you haven't really interacted with before. Let's play a game. You've won $1 million. Wow, congrats. Except, oop. There's a stipulation in the contest rules that says you can't spend any of the money on yourself. We never read the fine print. We never read the fine print, do we? You have to doll out your million in service of others. How would you use the million? Feel free to split it up as much as you want. And then it says the amount to whom, for what, and why. Okay. While writing this workbook, I started spending a lot of time at an animal shelter. It's not one of those beautiful Beverly Hill boutiques with shiny floors and clean, poofy dogs. It's quite the opposite. It stinks and has bird shit on the walls. It's doing the best it can with the resources it's given. I wasn't sure why, late in my 20s, I became obsessed with the idea of volunteering at this shitty shelter. Perhaps I was trying to escape from my own life and feelings with this distraction. Since I had left my full-time job the year before, I was having a rough time filling my time with meaningful work. I got pretty depressed and About all the days that show up on my Google Calendar with no events, I thought to myself, maybe it's true, misery does love company. These skinny, shaken, dirty animals seemed to be doing just as bad as I was feeling. Okay, and looking. Sometimes I wouldn't shower for four days, on average, over the sad summer of 2019, but something I noticed... Being at the shelter over time, all of the volunteers were some of the happiest, most caring and helpful people I've met in LA, which is saying something since almost everyone here is smoking weed and doing an all plant-based diet with 364 days of sunshine. I interviewed a volunteer about why he spends so many days a week there working for free. Some people think they'll get too attached working here or it's too sad when you see a foster dog returned for the fourth time that year but that means good moments far outweigh the sad. Seeing the tiniest improvement in success from an animal brings more joy to me than I've felt with any human. I LOL'd at this because I used to have a hard time celebrating other people's successes, but with animals, it felt so natural, and it didn't have to be an adoption, which was obviously the dream. No, it could be as simple as seeing a sick cat finally get rid of his kitty kennel cough, or a nervous dog finally lick my fingers. They were baby steps that felt like leaps. I started to find myself wanting to visit the shelter, a 45-minute drive away with shitty parking, any free chance I got, and then it hit me. Seeing progress in these animals felt easier to see than seeing progress in myself. I was learning how to celebrate small wins through these shelter animals. I'd spend all week sleeping in too late, unable to finish a script or canceling lunch, but then become elated when a kitten could switch from wet to dry foods. I was treating these animals the way I should be treating myself. I started to try to accept my own small wins and celebrate them just as hard. I got out of bed that day. Hooray. I was able to eat dry food instead of wet. Fuck yeah. The best part was I expected nothing in return from these animals except to keep on living and I started to feel the same for myself. That's the rub with paying it forward. You can't expect to get anything in return and you shouldn't but you'll come to see how quickly the karma comes back inward not to mention petting kittens is a really good stress reducer. After a few months of volunteering and fostering a cat, I thought I'd try my hand at fostering a dog. I self-identify hard as a cat person, but this shelter carries over 200 dogs at once, and I find myself starting to wander the alleys of the dog section over and over. One day in November, I took my friend Zach to the shelter to drop off some blankets We roamed over to the dog area, and then I saw him. Barry, my boy, my sweet, sweet, perfect boy. I already believed in love at first sight and soulmates and all that shit, but this moment actually felt like time froze. I fell in love with Barry, a 29-pound bulldog mix with a stumpy tail and pirate eye that wouldn't open. He was labeled a medical case. With a condition where eyelashes grow the wrong way on the dog's eyes, causing pain and blindness, and no one would adopt him because they knew they'd have to pay for medical care. I took him home. All right, guys. I think that, let's see, all right, there's one here, okay, well, I'm thinking maybe, Yeah, we're going to go ahead and finish the book, y'all. Next part is called Power Stance. For four years, I worked at one of the most competitive, fast-moving, internet digital companies in the world, BuzzFeed. It took me about six months to feel like I actually deserved my jobs, promotions, and recognition. The environment is so chaotic and exhilarating, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. If you don't know how to speak up and have confidence in your ideas, you'll never stand out. Point of view is everything, so you'd better have strong self-resilience, reliance, my bad, if you want to keep up at a company where the news and trends change literally every hour. On particularly tense days, something fun we all used to do in the middle of the day, totally unprompted, was a group power stance. It would often happen in a moment of inappropriately long silence, for the company. Perhaps the whole floor had their headphones on deep in their edits, or maybe the company Slack had just reported some not so great news, and we were feeling dampened as a team. But power stances were someone's way of saying, hey, we're in this insanity together. Let's take up some space for a moment. The goal of a power stance was to regain control of your space, to fill it up with whatever emotion you'd like, and to fucking own it, baby. And the great thing about a power stance is that it's incredibly easy to do. All you do is stand up, stretch your arms and legs as far and wide as they'll go, and try to create a giant X with your body. Feel the stretch and release the negativity inside. Feel free to roar and make noises. Once you have emptied your body... Of the badness, start breathing in the good. Make yourself even wider. Pour in positive thoughts. Nothing too good is off limits. Perhaps it's as simple as crushing the rest of your day or nailing a meeting or finishing that long edit sequence. Take up as much positive space as possible. Kick your chair out of the way for all I care. Try to keep this stance and positivity Flowing for at least 60 seconds. When you sit back down, you should have a renewed surge of energy running through your veins. Try it. It is fun. Mm -hmm. Now there's some questions. says try a power stance next time you're feeling cramped physically, emotionally, or mentally. How did it make you feel? Did you feel silly? Was there goodness in that silliness? If you had to ask a friend or coworker to do it with you, who would you ask and why? The purge, a challenge. It's time, it's happening, the social media purge. I challenge you to unfollow accounts, at least five on each social media account. That doesn't make you feel good or have you questioning your appearance or... Oh, sorry, again. Um, questioning your appearance and importance of your life. This can apply to anything. Food accounts, hot Insta influencers, fashion brands that aren't size inclusive, media sites that focus on celebrity drama, or even that dickhead from 7th grade who told you that you were too flat to wear a bra and never did a day's work in his life and somehow ended up running for office while still posting shirtless soccer selfies from practice every weekend and has a pool and a jacuzzi before the age of 30 just giving an example here of course what are your initial thoughts about this challenge what about that account you're going to unfollow makes you feel unsatisfied with your own life why if at all Are you resistant to unfollow them? Do you feel like you'd be missing out on things? How much space in your life and brain does this person, place, thing, company hold in your life? What other accounts, Pinterest pics, comedians, ideas, daydreams, brainstorms, and happiness could you fill that negative space with on social media? Okay, you are always changing and growing. Your brain is constantly making brain waves and activity, and that means you always have an opportunity to change and reroot thoughts. It's about breaking through patterns. This can happen at any time, any moment. It's never too late to start. Remember, when you are a kid and you are afraid of monsters under the bed, and then one day you never thought about it again, or maybe in your early 20s when you never thought you'd get over the heartbreak of a crush, but you did. Below, let's list some fears and worries that you've overcome in your lifetime, just to remind you how much your mind, thoughts, and feelings have grown and changed. Let's think back to times in your life where your brain has changed its own way of thinking. What were some Childhood fears, worries, or nightmares that you now know are no longer rational and have overcome. My example, I had this insanely irrational fear that a shark was going to end up in my backyard pool when I was a kid. Now I don't have this fear because I've developed logical thinking skills, lol. And then there's a place for you to write, childhood worries and fears, Teen worries and fears, adulthood worries and fears. Reflection. How are you able to overcome these negative thoughts and fears? Was it the wisdom of age? Was it facing the fear head on? How about after using this workbook? Have things changed at all, slightly, or in significant ways? What did you find most useful as a tool for managing your mental health? help. Name any of the people you shared some of your new ways of managing with. What are you excited about for the future? And okay, that's it. Holy fuck, that's the end of this workbook, the final pages. But here's the thing, my dear friend, at this point, we're dear friends, right? You are probably not cured, and if you've done the work, you know that being cured of anxiety, panic, or depression doesn't exist. You are different now. After reading these pages, you have new insight and hopefully more tools in your tool belt. Go back and fill out or try any pages you didn't use previously. Remember, you are always changing, so what may not have worked before might just be that exercise you need to get back in the right headspace. I wanted to create this book to help people the way I wish someone had helped me during the scariest parts of my life. I would please encourage you to give this book to the next person who could use it. It might just be the thing they need to keep going. Hmm. We did it, guys. We read the whole book. So, yes, that was Don't Fucking Panic, the shit they don't tell you in therapy about anxiety disorder, panic attacks, and depression. By Kelsey, not sure how you pronounce her last name, but it's D-A-R-R-A-G-H who is a comedian, filmmaker, and mental health advocate. So, yes. Oh, so glad we finished this. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this book as much as I did. And, um, yeah. So now we just have to continue reading The Inner Work, the book we started not too long ago, and hopefully we finish it eventually as well. All right, everyone, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please make sure to hit that follow button. Have a beautiful day, and I will talk to you guys next time.